This is VOA News reporting by remote. I'm Michael Brown. At least 22 migrants have died and dozens more remain missing after two boats packed with more than 140 refugees capsized in separate incidents in Greece. These sinkings are the deadliest in recent years, and the tragedies add to rising tensions between NATO allies Greece and Turkey. Anthe Karasava reports from Athens. Shipwrecked migrants flying up a craggy cliff on the island of Kithnos in southeast Greece, hanging onto rocks as furious waves batter dozens more beneath them on the shores. Mayor Stratos Karhalaikis described the tragedy as he scrambled to the site with rescue crews. It was terrible, he says. I alone saw five people drowning before me. The weather conditions were fierce. The smuggling vessel broke in half from the collision. Authorities say they managed to save 80 of the estimated 95 migrants on a sailboat. Similar searches were ongoing off the coast of Lesbos, on the easternmost rim of Greece, where 16 migrant women and a baby boy died when the flimsy rubber raft they were crammed into crashed on a rocky tip off the island's shores. Authorities are still investigating a motive for the deadliest mass shooting in Thailand carried out by one person. At least 38 people, including 24 children, were killed in a knife and gun attack at a child center in northern Thailand. Authorities identified the gunman as Panya Kamrab, an ex-police officer who was fired from the force last year because he was involved in drug trafficking. This is VOA News. The U.S. military said it carried out an airstrike on Thursday in northern Syria that killed two Islamic State members, including a leader it named as Abu Hasham al-Yumawi. The strike came just hours after a rare U.S. helicopter raid when a government-held village in Syria's northeast killed another Islamic State official. As with the helicopter raid, the U.S. military central command said initial assessments indicated no civilian casualties and it said there were no U.S. military casualties. The 47-member U.N. Human Rights Council has rejected a resolution to hold a debate next year on alleged human rights abuses in Xinjiang by a narrow margin. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The vote was preceded by a vigorous debate in which several member states presented their positions for and against the draft resolution. The United States, one of 10 Western sponsors, introduced the resolution. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Human Rights Council, Michelle Taylor, noted that evidence of human rights violations in China's Xinjiang province was recorded in a U.N. report published more than a month ago. The report was issued on August 31st by former U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet. It documents credible evidence of torture or other ill treatment and sexual and gender-based violence against the Uyghur minority. The report says the violations may constitute crimes against humanity. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. President Biden has taken a dramatic step toward decriminalizing marijuana. AP Washington correspondent Sagar Magani has the story. 
The president is pardoning thousands of Americans convicted of simple possession of marijuana and is calling on governors to follow suit for state offenses. In a written statement, the president says nobody should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. He says there are thousands who have prior federal marijuana possession convictions who, as a result, may be denied jobs, housing, or other things. He says the pardons will help relieve the collateral consequences. He's ordering administration officials to review how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. Sagar Magani, Washington. The Biden administration will begin redirecting U.S.-bound travelers who had been to Uganda within the previous 21 days to five major American airports to be screened for Ebola as public health officials sent an alert to health care workers. For more news, please join us at our website, voanews.com. I'm Michael Brown, reporting by remote, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Friday, October 7th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. The World Health Organization says suicide is a public health crisis in Africa as Malawi reports a record increase in deaths. A bigger number of men have committed suicide, and most of the men committed suicide due to issues deaths. Child deaths in Gambia are linked to cough syrups made in India. Zambia arrests a former health minister in $18 million corruption scandal. Last hostages from March train attack are freed in Nigeria. African oil conference delegates react to OPEC cuts. Rice shortages cause panic in Liberia. I think the government is aware of rest riot. If they don't be careful, maybe anything will happen. For me, I'm not begging the government. They should get on their feet. And twin shipwrecks in Greece leave at least 17 migrants dead and dozens missing. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's posts are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Health Organization marks International Mental Health Day on October 10th. The UN agency notes that 10 countries in Africa have the greatest number of suicides in the world. According to the WHO, 11 people per 100,000 take their own lives each year in Africa, higher than the global average of 9 per 100,000 people. Meanwhile, Malawi police say the country's suicide cases continue to rise, with 26 people dying every month. The latest statistics show that 208 people have killed themselves between January and August, compared to 160 during the same period last year. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Deputy spokesperson for Malawi Police Service, Harina Mazam, told VOA that financial problems top the list of causes. A bigger number of men have committed suicide, and the, most of the men committed suicide due to issues to do with deaths. We, we may say that if they are failing to settle, and maybe the owner wants that money. So it has come to a time where now the person decides to commit suicide because that person feels there's nothing he can do to escape the, such a problem. He says there have been 2,008 cases this year, 168 of them were men while 40 were women. In comparison, last year, 143 men killed themselves. 
as did 13 women. He says other causes, including marital problems among couples and broken relationships among youths, mental health experts, cite several contributing factors, including depression, psychosis, and a shortage of experts dealing with emotional issues. Malawi, one of the poorest countries in Africa, has only one public mental hospital, and the few experts in other hospitals are overburdened. Tandi Wenkandawire is a clinical social worker based in the capital, Lilongwe. She believes the trend can be reduced if Malawi increases more mental health personnel. It can be social workers, be psychologists, be psychiatrists, community-based mental health services at primary health care levels. So these things are in place and I think we'll be able to tackle these numbers that are rising year after year. Nkandawire, who is also former executive director for Mental Health Users and Care Association, says men top the list of deaths because they are culturally taught not to cry or to share their problems with others. Women have different platforms of sharing their emotions. This is not to say that women don't commit suicide. It's just that women have spaces to navigate whatever challenges that they're facing. However, the Malawi government is now working on a national suicide prevention and mental health strategies that aim to reduce suicides. Authorities plan to review and decriminalize attempted suicide legislation and start treating attempts as a public mental health issue. Deputy Police Spokesperson Namaza says the police handle suicide cases depending on the causes and that many of the cases are referred to its victim support unit which cancels people on psychosocial matters. I am Lamek Masina for VOA News in Blanta, Malawi. Zambia's Anti-Corruption Commission has arrested a former health minister and four others for an alleged deal worth nearly $18 million. The arrests are the latest in an anti-corruption campaign against former officials, as Kathy Short reports from Lusaka. Zambia's Anti-Corruption Commission says former health minister Chitalu Chilofia defrauded the government in a deal to buy health kits worth nearly 18 million U.S. dollars. He was arrested and charged Wednesday along with four others, the ministry's former permanent secretary and three directors of the Honeybee Pharmacy Company. They denied the charges and were released on bond until the case goes to court. Chilufia was previously arrested for alleged corruption in 2020. The charges of purchasing shares and property with proceeds of crime, which he denied, were later dropped. Separately, Zambia a Drug Enforcement Commission, DEC, on Wednesday detained opposition politician Kelvin Fulbe-Walia for failing to report a suspicious transaction. He also denied the charge. Wednesday's arrests are the latest in a Zambian government campaign to crack down on corruption. Critics say the campaign is being used to target and intimidate political opponents. Numerous officials who served under former President Edgar Lungu have been arrested and his family has been questioned. In July, Zambia's anti-money laundering agency questioned former First Lady Esther Lungu over her ownership of 15 luxury apartments, but no arrest was made. 
Current President Hagaende Hichilema has denied allegations that his fight against corruption is targeting opponents. Hichilema defeated Lungu in the August 2021 election in part because of his promises to crack down on fraud and government waste. So far, there have been many charges and investigations in the anti-corruption campaign, but few convictions. Kathy Short for VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia. Delegates at Africa's biggest oil conference have expressed concern about oil prices rising after the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC Plus, decided this week to cut production. The majority of the oil cartel's 13 member states are in Africa, but many African countries have to import refined oil. Vicky Stock reports from Cape Town, South Africa, where the conference is taking place. Speaking at Africa Oil Week, Omar Farouk Ibrahim, the Secretary General of the African Petroleum Producers Organization, said the move is aimed at ensuring stability in the global market and ensuring prices don't plunge too low. I believe it's the right thing they did in order to save the industry. So I I totally think that every country has a responsibility to protect the interests of its citizens. And if by reducing production. They see that as in their best interest. So be it. Rashid Ali Abdallah, Executive Director of the African Energy Commission, AFRIC, said it was too early to tell what the impact of the cuts would be. I hope that the price is not shooting up because in Africa we depend on oil products in power generation. Natasha Masano, the vice president of Angola's National Agency for Petroleum, Gas and Biofuels, said she wasn't sure yet how the announcement would affect her country. Angola and Nigeria are the two biggest oil producers on the African continent and are OPEC members. Some countries will be more affected more than the others. Some who are benefiting, of course, the producers may benefit for the high prices, but at the same time, they are also paying for uh, paying more for, for all other commodities. Saudi Arabia, which is OPEC's biggest producer, has denied colluding with Russia on the production cut. However, Herman Wang, the managing editor of Vienna-based OPEC and Middle East News, says one can't tell what's discussed behind closed doors and says the cut is clearly a big win for Russia. Well, it's hard to say what's said behind closed doors in these private conversations uh, between the ministers, but clearly this is a big win for Russia. We know that they are trying to raise money uh, for their war effort in Ukraine. They are, uh, again, like all these OPEC plus countries, um, heavily reliant on oil revenues. And uh, when you have a case where the outlook for the war is is quite dire and they're needing this revenue. um, And the other impact of this is that higher oil prices make it harder for the West to enforce and impose their sanctions on on Russia. So that might have been part of the the calculation here for Russia in terms of trying to get this uh, production cut done and uh, certainly getting it, uh, getting the the Saudi Arabias and the UAEs and the Kuwaits on board with this cut when they're the ones who are going to be doing most of the cutting, that's a huge strategic win for Russia. OPEC Plus members said the group will cut production by 2 million barrels per day. U.S. President Biden called the move short-sighted, noting the global economy is dealing with the negative impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa.
You're listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Butt in Washington. Today is Friday, October 7th. Still to come on our program, Something O'Malley Sports. More than two dozen Gambian children died from acute kidney injuries in August. The Ministry of Health and the World Health Organization says the deaths may have been caused by toxic cough and cold syrups manufactured by a company in India. Gambian authorities have reacted to the probe by recalling the contaminated syrups. Sajo Brito has more from Banju. Initial reports from Gambia's Ministry of Health said that 28 children died from acute kidney injuries, possibly caused by E. coli and toxic paracetamol syrup. Now, a probe into the deaths by the World Health Organization has now revealed that at least 66 children died from acute kidney injuries. The findings announced by WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus revealed that the deaths may be linked to contaminated cough and cold syrups made by an Indian drug manufacturer made in Pharmaceuticals Limited. The WHO has since issued a medical product alert on four contaminated medicines identified in Gambia that are potentially linked to the deaths. The syrups include promethazine, oral solution, Cofex Maline baby cough syrup, Markov baby cough syrup, and Maghrib and cold syrup. The loss of these young lives is beyond heartbreaking for their families. WHO is conducting further investigation with the company and regulatory authorities in India. The Ministry of Health and the country's medicines control agency have reacted to the WHO findings by recalling the four contaminated drugs. Maki Ujane Kaira is the executive director of the medicines control agency. She says her institution has also done investigations into which companies imported the drugs and says necessary actions will be taken when the probe is concluded. We do not have the testing for the laboratory capacity, so even these investigations we've had to outsource. Meanwhile, the international media reports that the Indian government has also launched a probe into the matter. Indian authorities and the manufacturer have not responded to requests for comment. For VOA Daybreak Africa, I am Sajo Brito in Banjo, the Gambia. Liberia's main staple, rice, is hard to find in many of the country's markets. As a result, the price of the commodity has increased from 13 U.S. dollars to at least 30 U.S. dollars. Although consumers and rice dealers say they find it difficult to access the grain, the government says there is enough to feed the country. Rita Jalobeduo has more from Monrovia. For two nights, Nyongo Bala and several other consumers, mostly women, have been sleeping in the open at Fuanisio's office, one of leading importers of rice in Liberia. Nyongo says she traveled from a town which is 50 miles away from Morovia just to purchase the cereal for her family but to no avail. She says even if the government is not able to provide other necessities for its people, food should be accessible to purchase. And I'm from here for Kema. And I take back for two days. I was still here today again. I just want president to go in real level. In real level, more vote for what again. More stop on the land for a bene. They won't do it. Hey, green food. Darius Brown, a father of four, also traveled 34 miles from his county of residence to the freeport of Morovia to purchase a few bags of rice for his family. Brown says 
he has not been able to buy even a single bag. He says he is afraid that the country might experience the violence that occurred over food shortages in 1979 if the situation persists for the next few days. I think the government is aware of rest If they don't be careful, maybe anything will happen. For me, I'm not begging the government. They should get on their feet. Emmanuel Dwe is a rice dealer. He says the shortage started with importers demanding rice dealers to purchase other commodities, including televisions and insecticide sprays, before being allowed to purchase at most 100 bags of rice. Dwe says he has over 2,000 United States dollars stuck in commodities forced on him by importers. When you buy 100 bags, you buy TV, and know the show condition, and our sell won't buy the market, we miss the market, the people can't buy the rest, they won't buy the other goods, what the people need are the rest. He says the shortage of rice is driving him out of business and gradually landing him in trouble with the bank which supports his business. I took loan from the bank. I usually turn around in the morning. Every month, I pay 910 US in the asset bank. And past three months now, said July, the rest been declining from the market. The VOA has asked for comments from importers, but none have been willing to speak on the record. However, one human resource manager with an importer says the government knows exactly what is unfolding with the rice situation and is in the best position to speak. Though both rice dealers and consumers say they find it difficult to access the commodity, the government of Liberia, through its Ministry of Commerce, says there is enough to feed the country. Authorities accuse retailers of holding the commodity. Deputy Minister for Press and Public Affairs at the Ministry of Information, Jalawa Tompo, reads a statement released by the Ministry of Commerce. We want to assure the public that the current stock of rice in country can serve the market up to the arrival of the next vessel, which is expected in the coming days. However, the U.S. Embassy acknowledges the looming rice shortage on the Liberian market and brands it as one example of rising food insecurity across the world. This is Rita Drawedou for VOA News in Morovia, Liberia. A Nigerian gang has freed the remaining 23 people it had held for six months since attacking a train in northern Kaduna state. Gunmen initially took more than 60 people from the train and authorities have negotiated for months with the gang to win their release. Relatives of the victims welcomed their release but have also had strong words about growing insecurity in Nigeria. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. The victims were released Wednesday evening, more than 180 days after they were abducted when armed men attacked their train. Usman Yusuf, the secretary of a seven-member government-led committee that negotiated their release, said security agencies and the Federal Ministry of Transportation worked together to rescue the victims. Their abduction had triggered national and international criticism of the government. Their release has been welcomed by many, including Nigerian President Mohamed Buhari, who said on Twitter, quote, I am delighted by this news and we're all grateful to the security agencies, end quote. Idahat Yusuf is happy that both her sisters have been freed. It's the best news ever. We thank God Almighty that this thing has finally come to an end. Even though it's ended after six months, nobody died in captivity. 
So we're very happy about that. President Buhari had opposed suggestions to deploy military force in search of the remaining abductees, citing fears for victims could be caught up in a crossfire. Authorities say the rescued victims will be reunited with their families after medical examinations have been conducted. Jesse John was one of the train abductees released in August. He's also excited about the new development. I was so excited. I started calling my friends. To be honest, yesterday was my first day. Since I get out from there, I posted on my media. Because I told them I will never be happy if the rest are not released. Nigeria has seen a wave of large-scale kidnappings in its northwest and central states since late 2020. Authorities have intensified offensives against gangs in recent months and say operations have been largely successful. But Yusuf says the government must take security matters more seriously to prevent abductions. The government needs to get more serious because honestly there is no excuse for such attack. In a sovereign nation like ours, where we have military, the Air Force, the Navy, I don't see any reason why people should not be able to sleep peacefully in this country. The railway between the capital, Abuja, and Kaduna City has been closed since the attack. Many are waiting to see if services will resume, though they remain skeptical about safety. Timothy Obizu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. At least 17 migrants have died and dozens more remain missing after two boats packed with more than 140 refugees capsized in separate incidents in Greece. The sinkings are the deadliest in recent years and the tragedies add to rising tensions between NATO allies and Turkey. Athi Karasava reports from Athens. Shipwrecked migrants Flying up a craggy cliff on the island of Kisnos in southeast Greece, hanging onto rocks as furious waves batter dozens more beneath them on the shores. Mayor Stratos Charhalaikis described the tragedy as he scrambled to the site with rescue crews. It was terrible, he says. I alone saw five people drowning before me. The weather conditions were fierce. The smuggling vessel broke in half from the collision and ferocious waves battered dozens of migrants as rescue crews tried to haul them out of the sea with cranes. Had they landed just 50 meters west or east of that point, Harkalaki said, they would have all been spared. Authorities say they managed to save 80 of the estimated 95 migrants on a sailboat. Nearly 20 of them were minors, but rescue crews aided by Air Force helicopters continued to scour the sea to locate more than a dozen believed missing. Similar searches were ongoing off the coast of Lesbos. Antikrasava for VOA News, Athens. It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is something O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, something. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sport with the fixtures of the second round of the preliminary marches and the CAF Champions Leagues scheduled to take place this weekend across select venues on the continent. Defending champions, Wadded Athletic Club, Welcome Rivers United, as they start the roads towards retaining their title with a tie against the Nigerian side in Casablanca. Wadded clinched the title last season after victory over holders Al Hakli. And talking about Al Hakli, 
And talking about Al Hakli, the record champions will come up against Tunisia's US Monastery in the North African Derby. Al Hakli were exempted from the first preliminary round as they will now start their journey to battle for the title back in Tunisia. In other mouth-watering fixtures, it will be Yanga welcoming Al-Hilal, while 16-time Angolian champions Petro Duluanda will visit South Africa as they meet Cape Town City. Another South African side, Memelody Sundowns, will face Seychelles Minos La Posse, and co-coach Rulani Mokwena says they are staying positive ahead of the important match against the Seychelles side. We try as, as best as we possibly can to be people who are optimists and positive with our thinking. We are speaking a lot now, every single day, about positivity, positive mentality, positive uh, behavior on the pitch. Uh, and that means forward passes, forward runs. The FIFA Forward Program, in conjunction with the Liberian Football Association, has refurbished the Antonite Torban Stadium and has constructed the head offices of the Liberian Football Association. The new headquarters of the Football Association will allow the Federation to run all its activities from a single location and to make the most of all its resources. Mustafa Raji, Liberian Football Association President, says the FIFA Forward program has changed the dynamics of Liberian football, including sporting infrastructure in the country. Thanks to the FIFA Council for approving and introducing the FIFA Forward program. A program that have uh, transitioned and uh, changed the dynamics in Liberian football and infrastructure development in our country. Jody Reed Seton, Liberia Football Association third vice president and head of women's football, appealed to FIFA to make funding of such projects continuous, especially the ones that bear direct impact on women football development. It's important that FIFA continue to support the FA, especially women's football division to create standards, to have more girls coming to play. The lights have brought beauty to the night games. And you know, people come from work in the evening, they are here, the girls play under the light, they are excited to play during the, 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 the evening hours because you know somebody have been school. Staying with football news, Senegal retained their number one position in Africa and 18th in the world in the latest FIFA men's rankings for the month of October. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, October 7th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. I am James Barton, Washington, wishing you a great weekend.